in bondage you are until you're free. And then you realize, oh, wow. And so um, that is probably my most dramatic in all of my testimonies. That was probably the thing that where I experienced a before and after that was, that's probably my most dramatic before and after testimony was freedom from claustrophobia. Um, if you're, do you want to go ahead and if you've written your answers, pass them to the end and Phil will collect them. Um, another testimony from, of freedom from fear was I also, for much of my life, I have, uh, struggled with nightmares and night terrors and just dark, um, dreams. And a number of years ago, as we had been, um, pursuing, pursuing dream interpretation, I had been praying about that and seeing some breakthrough and, um, anyway, about, this was a couple of years ago, I had had just a series of, of dark dreams really close together. And it was just, I was not sleeping well. I was slipping back into being like nervous going to bed because I'd had such a, um, close together, just some really, some dark dreams. And so I had been praying about that. And I asked the Holy Spirit for a strategy for my next bad dream. (laughs) Um, It was the suggestion of a good friend. And she said, what if, what if you were not just always reacting, but what if God gave you a strategy to be proactive? And so I asked the Holy Spirit, I want to, I want a strategy of what to do the next time I have a bad dream. And so I prayed, I felt like I listened, I, I heard um, steps, and I, I wrote them down on a piece of paper. I, I had steps for what I was going to do the morning I woke up from the dream, and I was going to write it down. I wrote who I was going to tell. A lot of stuff for, a lot of the problem for me was shame. You know, you have a, a, a dark dream, and it feels like, who am I that I would imagine that? You know, I'm, so there was all kinds of shame, and I had gotten some freedom in that, but that was part of my strategy, was I was going to decide in advance, regardless of what the dream was, who I was going to tell, and how I was going to ask for um, victory for it. And so I had this strategy on a piece of paper, and I put it on my nightstand right next to my bed. Well, it only took a few nights. I think it was the third night after I finished my strategy and wrote down. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'd had a bad. I'd had just this dark, um, uh, psychotic dream, and you know, you're like still kind of waking up. And I was, I sat up in bed. I guess I was like breathing heavy, and I was thinking, "What a stupid dream!" <laughs> and I was muttering, I guess, because I woke Phil up, and he's like, "Lisa, are you okay?" did you have a bad dream? And I was like, I had the stupidest dream. So annoying. And he's like, are you, do you want to talk about it? I was like, no, it was so, it's not even worth talking about. Like go to sleep. And he's like, I'm happy to go. I'm happy to go back to sleep. Are you, are you, know, are you okay to go back to sleep? And so I went back to sleep the next morning. Phil's like, what was happening in the night? And then he's, and I was, oh, I had the dumbest dream. It was so bad, but it was so stupid. And Phil's like, are you upset that your dream wasn't worse? And I started laughing and I look, I picked up my strategy and it, I was just laughing. So then Phil's laughing and he's like, why are we laughing? And I was like, that is so funny. Like the dream was bad. It used, it would have so messed me up, but compared to my strategy, it's pathetic. Like I, it's just, it's laughable. And he's like, what are you going to do your strategy? I was like, no, <laughs> it's so lame. And I just, and it, the thing is, is that I had so much faith for victory, I had so much faith for my strategy that when the attack, when the enemy came with the the, the bad dream, it, I saw it for what it was. It just was so, it was, it was so small. It was unimpressive. And there wasn't any temptation to be afraid or to feel shame. It was just, it was so pathetic. 
in comparison to this to this great God. And I had I had so much confidence in the face of the possibility of fear that when the thing came at me, it was just exposed already. And and I had no idea at that time that that whole thing would be a turning point. And do you know that since then, I have had so um, less less frequently do I have dark or evil dreams, and I'm much more quick. They don't get me down. I don't get. I don't suffer. I don't deal with shame as a result of bad dreams. It's easy to know this is this is from the enemy. I feel like I see the strategy of the enemy more clearly and more quickly um, in the midst of my dreams than ever before. And so it's just been this dramatic shift. Uh, so okay, that was number two, three. I have three testimonies. The third one is about our youngest son. Um, this is his continuing testimony. So uh, he just turned nine. I think this happened when he was four, getting close to five. He, or maybe it was when he was five, I don't know. He had um, had, a, had a scary encounter with our neighbor's dog that was a black lab puppy. Not a little puppy anymore, but, you know, the rambunctious uh, puppy. It was probably came to Jesse's waist when he was walking. And then when he jumped up on Jesse and put his shoulders, or put his front paws on his shoulders. He was much taller than him and he didn't snap at him or bite him anything or anything but barking and licking. And Jesse was terrified. And we live right across the street from a park and our house, our his face is the big field part of the park. And after that incident, Jesse was so afraid of dogs that he would not play in our front yard if there was a dog, if there was a dog, whether the dog was on a leash or off a leash in the grass across the street in the field, he wouldn't go in our front yard would only play in the backyard. And he would scan the park before he would go outside. And it was so sad. And we tried lots of things initially, you know, getting him to continue being friends with some of your dogs. <laughs> um, and and mostly we just gave him room and just told him, you're not always going to be afraid of dogs. Like this, you're going to get through this. You're going to be okay. And we gave him we prayed for him and we, we just were with him, but it's hard to, fear is not, you can't be talked out of being afraid, right? It's a spiritual battle. And mostly we prayed and we, we gave him room and we tried to give him strategies and we, and we just partnered with him as he walked through it. And it's improved. It would go up and down in different seasons, but probably about a year later, one time in the midst of, um, a time where we had talked about it more he said, I want to show you something. And he brought me this piece of paper and it's on the top of it. He was in, I think this was toward the end of kindergarten. So it was all, you know, the spelling, it was, it was darling. It was like his little handwriting and, and him sounding out all his words. The title on the top of the lined piece of paper said, no more fear of dogs. And it had a number. I don't remember how many, there was eight or nine numbered things on the paper. And the first one was stay on the ground. And that was one thing that we'd kept saying to him is you're just how we would be hiking and a dog would be coming and and the goal was just to keep his stay on the ground not need to be held not climb me or his oldest brother like a tree as soon as the dog got close and so that was number one stay on the ground and it had different things on there it had pet a small dog on a leash or and one was like say hi to a big dog <laughs> and and at the very bottom there was it said pet the dog who did it you know what that's about, right? It was the neighbor's dog. And, and I, I didn't, I hadn't seen the list. I didn't help him make it. And I talked to Phil 
Phil hadn't done it. Josiah, no. Isaac, no. Asher had never seen the list. We don't know. You know, he had done that on his on his own. And I share that testimony to say I think I think responding to fear is a process. And Jesse still is not. He still has not. I don't know if he remembers it. I haven't. I haven't talked to him. I haven't. Se- I tried to find his list, and I, I don't know where it is. But um, I don't know that that's something you can teach. I think that's something that's caught. And mostly today, I don't have new information for you. I don't think there's anything I'll share this morning that is new to you. But I want to stir up what you already know to be true inside of you. That when you face fear, you are not helpless. You are not hopeless. The situation is not hopeless. You have what is required inside of you, and it doesn't even require someone else to pull it out. It's inside of you. You've caught it because you've been in the house, because you've been, you've, you've been in the culture of freedom and of breakthrough, because the, you know, Jesus said you, know, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We're in the process of becoming free, and the most important thing is that you remember who you are, and you remember that you will get through it. There will be there will be a time where you will not um, be afraid. That Jesse would have this this confidence in him that there would be a time where he would face the dog that made him so afraid, and he would touch it. Like that's I don't think you can I don't think you can teach that. I don't think you can tell someone that you have to, you get it inside of you and it's this thing that grows. And that's what I think is going to happen today is that you're going to remember some of what you already know and it's going to grow inside of you and your confidence is going to increase. Your boldness and your hunger is going to increase and it's going to make you increasingly powerful against fear in your life. And so that's where we're headed. Um, Phil's uh, tallying up your results, and we're going to look at them in a little bit. But I'm going to start with with one that I think is there's a possibility that some of you thought of the phrase in Scripture that says, perfect love casts out fear. And often we think of that phrase when we think of fear. Uh, the verse is 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And that verse says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And so it's possible that, thank you, it's possible that some of you wrote love, that love is the opposite of fear, and that that would be God's answer when we're in the face of fear. And in this verse, we see that love is powerful, that love can defeat fear. It casts it out. It cancels it. But how? And it's a nice idea. What, when, what about when it doesn't work? That's my question. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one that has faced fear and then declared God's love, remembered I'm loved by God, God is love, and then still encountered fear. What does that mean? Does it mean that we're not perfected in love? Does that mean that God's love isn't perfect? And so I want to look at that a little bit because I think this Um, the context of this verse and what we can pull out of it is really a key to everything else that we would talk about with regard to fear. And so I want to look at the context of of verse um, 18 in chapter 4 of 1 John. And really all of 1 John 4 is the context. I'm not going to read all of it or have it all up there, but um, a few verses we will. And so in the beginning of chapter 4 of 1 John, John is 
charging his readers to demonstrate God's love. And he's saying that God, that, that they have God's love inside of them. And as they love him back, as they love God back, and as they love other people, that that's a demonstration of God's love being inside of them. And that because it, it identifies them as followers of God. And then he goes on to talking about Jesus. He says that when we confess Jesus as our savior, that God lives inside of us and that he, um, that God's, that Jesus's death on the cross was for our, was payment for our sin, right? And lot, that's where you have in your translation, it may say the propitiation, which just means payment, that it was paid in full. The, the debt of our sin was paid by the righteousness of Christ. And that we have his love inside of us. And then I want to look especially at verse 17 of 1 John 4. It says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And so I want to look at this um, verse because it really gives us um, insight as to what verse 18 means. And so we'll just go through verse 17, just phrase by phrase. First of all, this, he says by this, well, what is the, this, and it's what all of what I was trying to summarize in, in first John chapter four, by this, it means confessing Jesus as savior, believing that Jesus is the payment for sin and receiving the love of God through receiving Jesus. We get the love of God inside of us and the Holy spirit. And so He's, he's coming to a conclusion. He says, by this, by this action, this faith in Jesus as Savior, love is perfected with us. And that's interesting. Love is, is perfected. It's not the same as love is perfect. Um, it can also be translated, translated love is made complete. And if you look in the, in that, um, the context in verse or chapter 12, chapter four, um, the first 18 verses, you see that he's talking about this cycle of love. If you look at all that he talks about love, he's saying that God's purpose in sending Jesus was love. God was motivated by love that Jesus came because of, because God so loved the world (laughs) that he sent Jesus. And then as we receive Jesus, God's love is put inside of us. And then at the beginning of um, chapter four, John was charging his, his readers to love God back and to love others with the love of God that's inside of you. That's the completion of the cycle of love that he's talking about. That's, I think what it means when he says by this, by receiving Jesus, love is perfected with us. The cycle of love is completed because the purpose that Jesus was sent was in love. And God, when God receives love back, and when, when the love that he puts inside of us is demonstrated to other people as a witness of who God is, there's a cycle that's completed, and that's love being made perfect. And that's different than just somehow trying to understand a perfect love, right? It's action. There's something for us to do in it. It's receiving love and giving love, and that's the process of love being perfected. Okay, so by this, by confessing Jesus as Savior, love is perfected. The cycle of love is completed so that, so here's the purpose, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That's, he's giving the, he's giving the purpose for this, for this process that God's love in us and our faith in Jesus would give us confidence at a very specific time that would give us confidence in the face of judgment. 
And then he says, why? He says, because as he, referring to Jesus, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And he's talking about, he's talking about um, judgment. He's talking about the righteousness of Christ. When he says, because as he is, he's talking about Jesus. As Jesus is, well, Jesus is righteous. Jesus is with the Father, that so also are we. But we are in this world. He says, so also are you in this world. That even in the, even now, we are the righteousness of Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians 5, tw- um, 21 also. Um, Paul says, he, referring to God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him in Jesus. And so that's the, the reason that, that there's no fear in love is because the, there's not any need for further punishment. All the punishment has been paid, has been taken by Jesus. And we access that by receiving the love of God and that process of receiving love by confessing Jesus as savior, having faith that he is the payment for our sin. We get God's love inside of us, which is how it was intended by God to be. That's why he sent Jesus. Then we love others with that love, and this cycle is complete. And that process of receiving love and loving others because of our faith in Jesus gives us confidence against judgment. And I think I think when John is talking, he's not just talking about someday. He's not just talking about the eternal day of judgment because he says, As he is in the present tense, so also are we in this world. He's not talking about when we face eternal judgment. He's saying that we would have, this would give us confidence now because of how Jesus is now. It changes how we are now, not just how we will be. That there's no need for punishment, not just in the future, but there's no need for punishment now for those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. There's only love that comes from us. And it's a love that desires to be expressed through us for others. When we encounter fear, that process, the, what does it look like for love to be perfected? It means for us, I think it means for us to remember God's love for us, but also to do something with it, to love him back, to take action, to love others, And to see that process give us confidence in the face of fear. And to know that God isn't a punisher. There's no no longer need for punishment. That's what gives us freedom from fear. That God is a rewarder. Uh, That brings me to another another verse, Hebrews 11.6. I love this verse, and I always quote it when we talk about faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so here we have the writer of Hebrews. He's def- he defines faith earlier in Hebrews 11, 1, right? And then now he's saying that faith is necessary to please God. Because in order to come to God, in order to please God, we must believe that he exists. Well, that's logical, right? If you're going to come to someone for help, you must, you have to believe that they, that they exist. And then, but more so just than that, we have, it says that must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So there's this confidence. There's faith demands a confidence that God is a rewarder, that he's good, 
that when you come to him, he's not just he's not just able to help, but he's willing to help. He delights in help. He delights to give you good things. What um, what we believe about God is so critical. And so here we could think that, well, faith, faith could be the answer for what how God equips us to respond to fear. In the face of fear of of punishment or, or this sense of doom or anxiety over what's going to happen, that we can remember what we have, who we have faith in. We can remember who God is, that he's good, that he has good things for us, that he only has goodness coming toward, toward us, that he's not looking at us through our sin. He's looking at us through the righteousness of Jesus. And so faith could be another answer that you would put, that that's, our, that's the opposite of fear. That's how we're to respond. And remember that faith, um, remember the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, I've heard it said that fear is just faith in the wrong kingdom. Faith is, describes what we're expecting what we're hoping for, what we, what we think is going to happen. And so if, if we believe that we're unworthy of favor, if we believe that we're, we don't deserve goodness or blessing, if we believe that we deserve punishment instead, then that's what we look for. That's what we have faith for. And we don't usually like to use the word faith in that context, but often we do that. We start to... we. We're not convinced of the truth of who we are. And so we start to look for negative things, and then our expectation for it builds. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you're convinced that punishment is what you deserve, you will have faith for it, and you will look for it. The hard thing is you will often find what you look for, good or bad. And so there, so faith is this choice. And what we believe about Jesus is the key to how we'll respond, how we'll respond in fear, and what our faith will be in. Are you convinced that God is a rewarder, that he only gives you good things? And then you look for those good things. And so faith is an option. And then when we think of what the good things that God gives us, here's another scripture that that would that may come to mind. Second Timothy one seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear isn't from God. This is what he gives us. He's a rewarder. He's not a punisher. Fear isn't from him. So maybe power, love, and a sound mind, that would be the answer. That would be another good answer. What is the opposite of fear? Or how has God equipped us to respond to fear? With these things, because this is what he's given us. Or maybe you thought of peace. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven to his disciples, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So here Jesus is saying, I gave you peace. I'm not giving fear. Don't let your heart be afraid, because I've given you peace. And we remember that it's a peace that's powerful. It's not some quiet, lazy 
peace. Philippians 4 says the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It describes it like a mounted guard, a garrison around your heart. A fierce strategy to detect the enemy far off and defeat them before they come into the walls of the city. That's the kind of peace that Jesus speaks of. He says, I've given you peace. And so peace, that would be a good answer to what is the opposite of fear, right? That we can, we are equipped with peace. That's how we can respond to fear. And so I'm going to look here at this. Here's some of our, some of your guys' answers. So we had, um, let's see, the top one with the most answers was trust, awareness of God. Faith was another one with a lot. Love, peace, hope. These are so good. Contentment, that's cool. Courage, hope, grace. And so all of these, there isn't, like I said, I don't think there's, I don't think there's one right answer. All of these are, are excellent answers. We could probably find scriptures in um, the Bible to back up every one of these. Or we could look at places where people encountered fear in the Bible and find examples of people responding with trust, people responding with courage, with hope, with love, with faith, all of these. Fear is part of the human experience. It's, it's I mean, in some ways, fear is a natural response that's good. It's what keeps us alive. The natural response of fear to impending danger, fight or flight, you know, there's a lot of instincts that are that come from that, that are a good thing. But fear is also a strategy of the enemy to keep us from the goodness and glory of God. And we are equipped to respond to it. There's a lot of places where fear is mentioned in the Bible. And and all of these responses that you guys gave are examples. There's probably, there are examples of all of them in the Bible as well, of how people responded to fear. I think it's kind of funny that um, I looked, I didn't look at all of these, but there's nearly a hundred places in the Bible when people are told not to be afraid. And do you know that a lot of them are in response to God? By and large, the most common response to the angelic is fear. <laughs> An angel comes on the scene, someone sees a vision of God, and they're instantly afraid. And we know that they're afraid because the angel's first words are, do not be afraid. And so I just, I, I, that's funny. I bring it up just to say fear is natural and not just fear of the enemy, but fear of God also. And we, it's, it's a, we're in good company if we find ourselves afraid and unsure of what to do. Because even if it's a physical being from heaven encountering people, their response was fear and the angel had to clarify that they're not there to do you harm. <laughs> that they're there with a word from God. It's going to be good for you. And so and so one thing I think that we're doing today is just breaking off shame. If the enemy makes us feel afraid and then makes us feel like crap because we're afraid, then we're really in a mess. We don't have to feel bad. We're also not helpless, and we're not hopeless in the face of it. 
Fear is part of the battle. It's part of our spiritual battle. We remember that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, right? It's a spiritual battle. And this morning, I want us to look at at fear as being an invitation. And you are the one that has the response. When you get an invitation, you say yes, maybe, or no. Are you coming to the party? No. Or I'm not sure. I'm undecided. You can be undecided about fear if you want. Um, I would suggest no. <laughs> There's an invitation. And we're, I think we're guaranteed to face fear. And so, so we need to be ready. We need to be confident about how we're going to respond. And this is, this is the picture that, that I have about fear is that it's a, like it's a fork in the road. You come to a place and the road divides. And at that, at that juncture, that's the invitation of fear. Something comes at you. Sometimes fear is loud and sometimes fear is quiet. Fear can be quiet, like just anxiety. I'm not fearful. I'm just not sure. (laughs) I just have a lot of questions. Fear can look like having doubts. Oftentimes, if you're disappointed, angry, or defensive, it's because there's fear. It's just not loud yet. It's just quiet. And so at that, at that initial junction, whether it's loud or quiet, there's this invitation that says you should, the, the suggestion to be afraid. And what the Holy Spirit's been showing me is that at that moment, faith or love or trust, however, whatever we think of as the response and fear are really close together. It's like you could choose either one, and you might feel them both. Just like when you get to the place on the road where there's a, where there's a junction, the two sides of the road are close together. It's only after you walk a while that you get a long distance from the other option, right? And so oftentimes we encounter this suggestion of being afraid, or we, or we recognize our defensiveness, and we start to work through it, but we still feel afraid, and we start to feel defeated. Like, oh, now I'm not victorious over fear. And I just want to, I want to say, the roads are close together at the beginning, and you have to journey on the road for a while before you get distance. And so when we face when we face fear, it's the thing about fear, and it's true about, about these um, qualities or characteristics as well, it's they're hungry emotions. You know, what you feed, what you fuel will grow. It's like a fire. And so there's a picture of a, of a bonfire. This was the day after Christmas this year. This was Isaac's, this was the fire Isaac was tending at my parents' house. And Asher's in the background of that picture bringing up some more brush. Um, and so, you know, you, there's this cycle to fear where you, you feel something, you're aware of something that you're afraid of, whether it's loud, a shouting fear, like Jesse's fear of the dog, or whether it's this quiet kind of anxiety. And oftentimes there's a cycle that goes with it where you start, you start experiencing the circumstances that make you feel afraid. And it brings up questions like, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or you have doubt. We talk, I mentioned earlier, lots of times then you become ashamed that you are feeling afraid. And that, that cycle, the result of that is just increased fear. It's like putting fuel on a fire. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. And, you've, and you can feel unworthy or guilty as a result of um, this increase, this cycle of fear where it increases. And... 
the key is that when we face that, that we um, that we find a way to pursue Jesus. Because look at all of those, this anxiety, doubt, what if, guilt, shame, unworthiness, all of the, that's all the opposite of Jesus. There's no, no shame coming toward us from him. No guilt because his, because he's already paid. Um, and then, uh, let's see, it's a demanding, fear is a demanding kind of emotion you can feed it or you can starve it. And I think what we do um, in the face of the invitation of fear determines what comes next. And so um, one way, these are ways that I, that I think we can fuel fear, like adding wood to a fire. You look at what isn't working or what God isn't doing. You consider your unanswered questions or the areas of lack in your life, physical lack, lack of understanding, you know, whether it's an emotional thing. And those things, that continues the cycle of fear. It's like letting the fire get, get hotter, bigger, brighter, more intimidating. But faith is also the same way. So there's a cycle to faith, too that we have, there's wonder, this childlike wonder that says, what if, what if God did this? Or that's amazed by God. And oftentimes in faith, we will encounter doubt and question, or we'll have unbelief. And that's not threatening to God, right? Remember, remember the man who Jesus encountered where he said, if you can heal. And Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible. And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. And he got his miracle. Unbelief isn't threatening to Jesus. It just matters to him that you come to him with it. And that you you can have unbelief mixed with faith, but he wants you to give your faith to him and to bring you his questions as opposed to your own resources, right? And so in the midst of this is, again, I'm trying to create a cycle here. Often in the midst of faith, we have doubt mixed in. But if we listen to God, if we hear his words to us, and if we make a decision of what we're going to have faith in and do action, oftentimes the way to feed faith is to take action, to do something, to take a risk, to be obedient in some way. I think back to that First John um, 4.18 talking about love being perfected. And I think loving others is an excellent way to increase faith. Because it's believing God to be your source, like you're, you're um, the one who, who meets your needs. If you take a risk and do something, those things lead to increased faith. And just like you can fuel the fire of fear, you can also fuel the fire of faith. We do that by rehearsing testimonies or by feasting on scripture, remembering the promises of God, listening and obeying what God's saying to do. Um, praising God, giving thanksgiving, even thanking God for future victories or for ways that he, breakthrough you haven't seen yet. Those are ways of feeding our faith. And just like when you feed the fire of fear, when you feed, when you feed your faith, it becomes more intense. It becomes bigger. It becomes brighter. You warm yourself by it, right? And it, it impacts, it spreads to other areas of your life. And that could be the other way is that if you're experiencing fear in one area of your life, just become bold in faith in another area and choose to stop focusing on the place where you're afraid. And the faith that you build 
in a, in a specific area of your life will begin to impact the place where you're feeling afraid. And and so there's all these different, we've looked at a few this morning. You guys came up with more. We looked at love, faith, power, hope, and a sound mind, peace. And then these were some others that I had put on the slide. Some of these are what you guys had put, hope, truth. All of these look like Jesus, don't they? All of these things that that your answers were, these are all all true. They're things that Jesus is or things that he gives us. I just want to um, look at, close with two more scriptures. John 10, verses 9 and, 10, 9 and 10. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so here Jesus is, he's exposing his motive and he's exposing the motive of the, of the enemy. And Jesus says, I am the, he's saying, I'm the way, I'm the gate, I'm the way in. And he says that we will find pasture in him, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you think of those, the things that make us feel afraid and what, what that cycle of fear that was on the previous slide, guilt and shame unanswered questions, doubt, all of those things kill, rob, and destroy from us. And they kill and rob and destroy these things, hope, joy, life, truth. But it says that, but Jesus said that he came, that we would have life and that we would have it to the fullest or that we would have it more abundantly. Anything that doesn't lead to life is not from Jesus. He came that we would have life. And then Matthew 7, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so again, it's like there's these, there's options. And there's, he says it. the gate is wide and broad that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But there is a gate that is small and narrow, and it leads to life. Another translation says, blessed are those who find it. And you, you are ones who have chosen that narrow path. In the midst of facing fear, this last slide is just a picture summary of this um, of this message that fear is like a fork in the road. It's like an invitation and you encounter it and you choose, you choose. And it's not, it's not once or one and done. (laughs) You can re-choose and you know, you can oftentimes fear initially will cause us to like, just to stop. You know, we can be paralyzed by fear. We can hesitate. And so you could say, well, there's a third option to do nothing. And I would say, really, there's only two options. <laughs> you're going to go the way of fear, and it's going to lead to destruction. Or you'll go the way of Jesus, and it'll lead to life. And, and that initial moment, you can say, well, you could just stay there. Well, you'll look one way or the other. And often you will go wherever you look. And so if you look at fear... Or look to look that it's this. It is this invitation of who you will trust, who you will pursue, 
And so we pursue Jesus. There's fear of faith and or Jesus. And we pursue Jesus with peace, with faith, with love, with all of these things that you wrote down. Any of those are an option and they will take you toward Jesus, take you deeper into him. And they, and it leads to life. It leads to life because all of these things are Jesus. And he says, he is the way he is the life. He's the truth. The truth will make us free. And again, as you, as you imagine roads going off from each other, the farther you go toward life, the farther you are from fear. And the good news is you can start on that journey and you can, you know, depending on where you are, you can hop across. You know, it's not, like I said, it's not one and done. You can, de- you can decide and redecide. You can repent, which just means to stop and turn away. And if we, when we choose fear, it leads to death. And, and that's just how it is, right? And it looks like that cycle of continuing to see what God's not doing, feeling shame, feeling guilt. And at any of those, at any time in there, you can decide, you can remember, wait, that isn't true. And you can, you can take the shortcut across through the woods, right? And get back on the narrow path that leads to life. The end, following the enemy in fear leads to death, but there's a better way. And, and what you do, how you respond uh, is like is like fueling a fire. It's like putting wood on something. Which one will you f- Which one will you fuel? Will you fuel fear or will you fuel faith or trust or hope, life, love, whatever whatever one is alive? My point in having you write down your answer was to show that it just depends on what's alive in that moment. Sometimes hope is what rises up in the face of fear, and you say, "This isn't hopeless." I've seen God's victory before. Other times it's peace. And you're just, you're sure that you're sure that you're sure that you have access to peace. It doesn't matter which, which way. It's just as long as it's one of the things that leads to Jesus. Right? And you start to fuel it. You add fuel to that fire by rehearsing testimonies, by going over the promises of God, by remembering who you are as a child of God, that you have inside of you what it takes to get to abundant life because there's no more punishment coming towards you because God is a rewarder. He has only good things for you. And he's already given you access by faith to everything that you need. And so you, you rehearse that and you add fuel to the fire and you keep going. And sometimes you still feel this niggling of fear and you say, that's okay. (laughs) I've got a strategy. I'm on a road. And the farther you go, the, the, the greater distance you go into life, the farther death is from you and the stronger you are in the face of it. Jesus equips us to respond to fear. And the enemy is is sure that we face it. <laughs> the enemy is persistent too. But we remember those promises, those words in the Bible, right, that say that the enemy has been defeated. That he is he will not be victorious because he has not been victorious, because Jesus has had victory over him. And so why don't you just stand, and I'll just close as, I'll pray as we close. Jesus, we thank you for your choice. 
Thank you, God, for sending Jesus in love. Thank you that you so loved us. Thank you that it's personal, that each person listening, that you can put your name there. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus for me. And thank you, Jesus, that you said yes, that you were willing. Thank you for the truth that there is no punishment coming toward us because the price has been paid. Thank you, Jesus, that as you are, so also are we in this world, that we are righteous, that we are loved, that we are powerful, that we are victorious, that we are a well-led people, that we hear the voice of the Father, that we are equipped for victory, that we have the tools in our hands, that the victory is ours, it is assured. We pray that as we encounter invitations to be afraid, that we would respond with confidence, that that we would remember that we're not helpless and we're not hopeless, but we are equipped, we are led, and there, there are many ways we can access the victory of life. Thank you that you've given us peace, that you've given us hope, that you've given us love, a perfect love that's powerful against fear. Thank you that you've given us courage and trust. Thank you for your promises in the word that lead us deeper and deeper into who you are. I pray that in any places where people are struggling in this time, um, in this season of their life with fear, I thank you, Jesus, that you give them a strategy that you give them confidence, a boldness to say, I'm going to get through this. And maybe it'll have steps and maybe it'll just be a one-time, a one-time thing. But I pray that they would, they would know that you are equipping them and that they would be bold in their pursuit of freedom from fear. Amen.